Hi, everybody. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. This week, we are pulling a show from our archives. This show was originally broadcast back in March. I believe it was the 13th of 2017. It's a Boomer Boulevard show, and we do hope you enjoy it. It's half past eight exactly, Mr. Dillon. I better get it out of the safe now. Chester. I'm ready whenever you are, Mr. Dillon. All right, let's go. beautiful Placentia Peninsula in southern Belize. This is Boomer Boulevard. Hi everybody, this is Bob Bro. Welcome to Belize. Glad to have you along. Those of you that made the trip, come on in. Make yourselves comfortable. We've got a great show lined up. This is Boomer Boulevard. This is the show where we play old-time radio programs we actually remember from when we were kids. Why? Because we're baby boomers, but everybody's welcome. Now, some of these shows, admittedly, we remember from television and their later incarnations, but nonetheless, we remember these, and it's great fun to go back and listen to them all over again. We have up tonight an episode of Have Gun, Will Travel. We have an episode of Dragnet, very dramatic episode. We have uh, a very funny Jack Benny show, once again featuring Ronald Coleman and Benita Hume, and we're going to finish things up following a paid killer on an episode of Gunsmoke. So that's the lineup this week. Pull up a hammock or grab a seat right over there around the uh, fire pit. Those of you, you, if you want to dangle your feet in the pool, you can. And uh, we're going to get started in just a minute. Yes, welcome everybody to Placentia, Belize. We're about three hours south of Belize City down here on a beautiful peninsula that extends out into the Caribbean Sea. And we just have a beautiful view here from our home of uh, the beach to the east, 
the sea and then to our west there's a large lagoon here overlooking the uh, mainland with the mountains in the background and it is just gorgeous. We've been to Belize uh, a couple times before and have always wanted to spend more time here so we're, we came down during spring break. By the way, if you're thinking about uh, our house being empty, Bill, my cousin who is married to a pro wrestler and his friends are all staying there for the week so they have three Rottweilers and two Doberman Pinschers and one German Shepherd and they are loose on the property so just thought I'd let you know in case you were thinking who's watching the store while you and Carol are in Belize. This is uh, really a beautiful area here. Uh, we'd like to go swimming in the lagoon, it's very peaceful but we understand there's alligators out there. And uh, always, uh, when you get in a more of a tropical climate, there's little uh, bugs and things around. We see a lot of geckos <laughs> running here and there. Um, in the, uh, just not far from here, there's a, a, an area that is a natural habitat for jaguars. And there's more jaguars uh, per square mile in that area than any other place in the world. And uh, so anyway, but it is, it is just breathtaking and beautiful and we're so glad to be here. But now let's, oh, by the way, Chester is having the time of his life. He's out there in the pool right now, floating on his back with one of those drinks with a little uh, little umbrella in it. Yeah, he's out there and uh, you ought to see him. He, <laughs> he's really enjoying himself. All right. Our first show was an episode of Have Gun Will Travel, originally broadcast on July the 17th in 1960, and the name of this one is Little Guns. Gentlemen, I thought I could talk to you in a quiet, civilized way. But it looks like that is out of the question. Have Gun, Will Travel. Starring Mr. John Daner as Paladin. San Francisco, 1875. The Carlton Hotel, headquarters of the man called Paladin. Oh, Mr. Paladin. Oh, Mr. Paladin. Hey, boy, if you don't mind, I'm taking a bath. Oh, yes, Mr. Paladin. Uh, hey, boy, remember this fact, so he know just where to deliver an important-looking telegram for you. You see? Mm -hmm. Yes, I see. And to you, every telegram is important. Yes, sir. But I could have waited until after my bath, hey, boy. Oh, hey, boy, not like to cause slowdown in great system of communication. All right, hey, boy, bath or no bath, I guess we can't disrupt the nation's flow of information. Would you read it, please? Oh, yes, sir. Uh, Paladin Carlton Hotel. Uh, need help at your price to stop range war. Um, a $500 deposit with Telegram. Advise. 
James Ellis Mayor Preston, Arizona. James Ellis Mayor? Yes, sir. Uh, you know him? If it's the Jim Ellis I'm thinking of, I certainly do. He was the slickest gambler and confidence man east or west of the Mississippi River. You got to help him? Well, uh, $500 deposit, huh? Telegram man say you can pick it up at the office. I can't see Jim Ellis as mayor of anything except perhaps a penitentiary. But I guess it must be true. Yeah, Miss Paladin want Hey Boy to pack for him or get ticket for a uh, stagecoach? Yes, Hey Boy. You do that. Right now, I'm going to enjoy this bath. It may be the last one I'll have for quite a while. The stagecoach ride to Preston left something to be desired, namely some other means of transportation. We rode through mile after mile of magnificent cattle country, large ranches and small. Preston was the center of this cow kingdom, a booming, growing, prosperous community. As I got off the stagecoach, any doubts I may have had that Mayor James Ellis might not be the Jim Ellis I knew were soon dispelled. Paladin! <laughs> Paladin, you old renegade, am I glad to see you. I don't believe it. Well, I am. Sent for you, didn't I? Got your telegram saying you was coming, too. That's right, Jim. I just meant that I don't believe that you're the duly elected mayor of this fine little town. People must not know you as well as I do. <laughs> Good old paladin, always joking. <laughs> well, what they don't know won't hurt them, paladin. Now, don't you give me away. Hey, come on down to my office in the hotel lobby, paladin. We'll renew our old friendship. You mean your office is the hotel lobby? <laughs> Why, sure, ain't everyone's. Oh, afternoon, Mrs. Cartwright. Come on, Paladin. I got a big job for you to do. I'm in real trouble. Yes, yeah. You mentioned a range war in your telegram. Well, that's what it is. Oh, howdy there, Fred. And you got to stop it. This is the first honest job I've ever had, Paladin, and I got to keep it. Honest? <laughs> it's political, isn't it? Well, honest up to a point, maybe, but it's respectable. What does a range war have to do with your job? A paladin, if it gets started and drags out, it could ruin this whole valley. Set the town back five years. Ah, no town, no mayor. Uh-huh, that's it. And I got investments that'd go right out the window with the job. That figures. Oh, howdy, Ben. <laughs> well, here we are. Okay. Yeah, come in. Here we are. Sit down, paladin. Right. Now, uh, who is involved in the so-called range war, Jim? Well, sir... There's two of them, ready to fight. Name's Marsh Jordan and Jack Sanders. What's the argument? Water rights. And what a mess. Ought to be settled by lawyers and judges, but Marsh and Jack just won't see it that way. They aim to do it with guns. I know the type. Self-made, rugged individualists. You hit it. Well, who are these men? Just the biggest ranchers in Preston Valley, and there's nobody to stop them. Not even the law? No. Ain't been able to keep a sheriff for the last six months. Oh, folks could see this coming. There's no use trying to fight the two of them with a few deputies, that's for sure. <laughs> so you hired just me to do the job, huh? Well, Paladin, I got all the confidence in the world in you. This grand little community needs your help in growing up to be a grand and glorious metropolis in this fair land of uh, ours. Well, These people... Jim, Jim, save the speech for your voters. I'm just the hired help. Uh, well, that's what I'd hoped you'd say, Paladin. I knew you'd help me. I mean, us, the fine folks of Preston. Uh, uh, come here. Take a look out this window. All right. You see that saloon over there? Mm -hmm. All right, this minute, Jack Sanders and some of his men is having a drink. 
Now, you ought to go and have a talk with him and... Oh, no. Now what? You see that big fellow on the walk, the one leading them cowpokes? I see him. That's Marsh Jordan. Oh, great day. He's going to go into the saloon. Yep, there'll be trouble for sure. You got to stop him, Paladin. Just like that. Huh? Well, that's what I hired you for, isn't it? Come on. There, Paladin. I told you they'd be at it. I'm in control of the river right now. And you nor nobody else in the Sanders outfit's gonna get it away from me. Now, Marsh, Jack. Now, men, let's not be hasty. You keep out of this, Ellis. As mayor of Preston, As I... mayor of Preston, you got nothing to say about anything between me and Jack Sanders. And you keep your mouth shut, mayor. I'll have my foreman throw you out of here. That goes for your friend, too. Now, what was you saying, Sanders? It's time for a showdown, Marsh. You and me, we'll settle this right here and now. I am willing, Jack. Marsh, Jack, now wait. Jim, you stay out of our way. Paladin, stop him. You tell me how, Jim, I'll stop him. Now, Jack, if one of us gets killed here, it ain't gonna stop our outfits from fighting it out to a finish. I know that, Marsh. I'm just sick of seeing your face around. Paladin, do something. All right, then, if you want it this way, you just draw. Gentlemen, just a moment. Ellis, I told you and your friend to keep out of this. Now, who do you think you are, mister? Gentlemen, my name is Paladin. And I think that you're both cowards. <laughs> now, maybe I didn't hear you right, mister. You wouldn't care to say that again. Not particularly. But if you give me a chance to make my point, I think I could show you it's true. Seemed like I gave you and the mayor a chance to leave. I guess my foreman left to throw you out after all. Hank, put your drink down and take care of him. Oh, no, you don't. Yes. Now, I thought I could talk to you gentlemen in a quiet, civilized sort of way, but it looks like that's out of the question. Now, now, Paladin, don't go too far. There's no going halfway in this job, Jim. Either you hired me to do it or you didn't. What do you mean, hired you? The mayor sent for me to try to stop a range war. That's what I intend to do. By what right? By the right of any man to keep you from destroying this town. Uh, we can take care of our own troubles. Can you? Like Marsh Jordan said, one of you would probably be killed in a shootout. And that would mean his family and his outfit would have to finish the fight. Well, you got any better idea on settling our differences? I was getting to that. What makes either of you any better than any other citizen? What's wrong with leaving your dispute to the law to settle? Well, you're new here, mister, but you just asked anybody who's got the biggest ranch, who's been here the longest. They'll tell you I have. Marsh Jordan. Uh, now, that ain't quite right, Marsh. The Sanders came to Preston Valley same time as your family. We got 4,000 head of cattle. We run five. But you ain't got a string of 3,000 horses breeding or 40,000 acres of land. Neither. I got 35,000 acres and 50 men riding for me. And I got near as many. And my men are better than yours anyway. Well, there's only one way to find out. Gentlemen, I'm willing. Gentlemen, I am sure that you're both very important ranchers in the valley. But there are a lot of others involved. And that includes all the people of Preston. Anytime they can come close to what we got, they can settle things their way if they want. Right now, this is between Jack Sanders and me, and you and all the rest can just stay out of it. Well, Marsh ain't often right, but this time he is. Now, you put that gun away and take the next stage out of Preston. And stay out. You heard him, mister. Yes, I heard him. I realize, gentlemen, that my gun is only a temporary advantage. But in the meantime... I'll make a little deal with you. Uh, let's call it a bet. You just get... Hold up, hold up, Jack. 
I've never been one to turn down a bet. A fair one. Uh, it's more than a fair one, I'd say. In fact, neither one of you could lose. Well, what's your bet, Bellamy? You give me 24 hours. Till tomorrow afternoon at 4. Uh-huh. If I don't have this settled by then, I'll pay you each $500. If I do, you both pay me the same. Uh-huh. Now, how about it? <laughs> I hate to take your money, mister, but you got yourself a bet. What do you say, Sanders? Well, I... I don't know. Let's give him a ride, Jack. We've been fighting this thing for years. Another 24 hours isn't going to matter much. Well, I ain't got 500 on me, but I'll get it at the bank. The mayor will hold the stakes. Here's my wallet, Jim. There's a little more than 1,000. I have the money on me. Here's my anti-mayor. Now, if you don't mind, gentlemen, I'm leaving. Well, keep your gun handy, Mr. Paladin. 24 hours, you'll need it. Come on, Jim. Don't you get too far away with all that money, Mr. Mayor. (laughs) Great day. Am I glad to be out of there. I know what you mean, Jim. I knew you'd come through, Paladin. Oh, you handle that real good in there. Now, what's your plan now that you've got 24 hours? Well, I'm not sure it'll work, but I know what I'm going to try to do. What? I'll let you know in 24 hours, Jim. Right now, I want to borrow a horse. drink, Mayor. Huh? Oh, oh uh, yeah. Uh, I guess I didn't sleep much last night. Well, I can't say as I blame you, what with your friend Paladin hightailing it out of town the way he did. Now, I don't worry about Paladin. He'll be back. You can count on that. Yes, sir. He'll be back sure as shooting. He said he would. Uh-huh, yeah. Well, we'll know for sure in about six hours. I've been to the bank. Here's my $500. You'll be handing it back double by 4 o'clock, but I might as well make it legal-like. Uh, sure, Jack, sure. <laughs> you look kind of green, Mayor. Here, have another drink. You could use it. Here. You sure you won't have a little steak, Mr. Mayor? Uh, oh, no, no, thanks, Marsh. Uh, this coffee will do fine. Oh, you city folk don't eat enough to keep a skinny coyote alive. Uh, Marsh, uh, uh, why not send your riders back to the ranch? Well, that wouldn't be very smart, Mr. Mayor, with a whole Sanders outfit in town. But there's sure to be trouble. Uh, pass salt, will you? Yeah, oh, sure, sure. Thank you. There was going to be trouble before your friend Paladin stuck his nose into our business, and there's still going to be trouble. The only way to settle it. But, Marsh, the, the, the folks in town... Everybody took the cover already. Mayor's stores is closed, wind is boarded up, nothing can stop it now. But you you got to wait till four. You both promised you oh, would. Oh, we'll do that. Jack and me got it all figured. He's got the east end of town. Me and my boys has the west. Come four o'clock, we meet you in front of the hotel and collect our betting money. What then, Marsh? Then... Well, sir, you don't find yourself a nice solid hiding place. You're going to be as full of holes as this here town of yours. Well... 
What time you make it, Jack? I just looked. Five to four. Are you sure your watch ain't fast? Ain't never been fast before. Ain't now, Mr. Mayor. Uh, how about another 24 hours? Until uh, we hear from Paladin. Nope. Twelve? Uh, Not a chance. Our men are at either end of town. They're itching for a fight. They're gonna get it. You ain't gonna be seeing that Paladin feller, Mayor. He left his thousand so he could get out of town in one piece. Twenty-four hours gave him a pretty good start. You might as well start paying off, Mayor. But uh, I got two minutes. Now. Who's coming? Why, that looks like Paladin. Yeah, it is Paladin. He did come back. He's got less sense than I thought he had. Uh, What's he waving at us? Some kind of papers? Hello, Jim. Gentlemen, I'm glad you waited for me. Well, you got here just in time to see us get your money. Let's not be hasty. I've got something to say. Well, it better be real powerful, Paladin. Just might be, Jim. Mr. Jordan, Mr. Sanders. I represent a client who says that you have no right to endanger lives in the future of Preston Valley by starting a range war to settle your differences. What makes this client of yours think he's got any right to say something that local? Well, let me see. This client of mine has nearly 15,000 head of cattle. What's that? Which I believe is more than your two ranches combined. My client has over 500 head of horses, counting working and breeding stock. What are you pulling, Paladin? There ain't no such client. My client works about 100,000 acres of land, which is more than both of you have, and he's got nearly 150 men. I don't believe it. Hmm. If you take a look around the edge of town, you'll see these men are just waiting for you two to start something. They're well-armed and ready to fight for their rights. Paladin, what outfit are you talking about? It's not one outfit, Jordan. You see these legal papers here? These are the Articles of Incorporation for the Preston Valley Stockmen's Association. The what? Those men out there are the smaller ranches in this valley, with all their men. Now, you add up their holdings, and you'll find that neither of you gentlemen can come close to them. Well, they can't do this to us. Hold on, Jack. I don't know. With that many men out there, might be they could. What do you want, Paladin? They want you to join the Stockmen's Association. It's been formed to protect and aid all ranchers. Any disputes will be settled fairly and squarely by everyone who belongs. Hmm. And they figure this valley is big enough for the little men and the big ones. Well, so that's where you've been, riding all over the valley to organize them. Each man that signed helped sign up others, and every one of them, to a man, hopes that you two will join up also. They even think that one of you would make a good first president of the association. Even old John Nichols? Pete Culver? You can see for yourself. They all signed. Hmm. Let me see that. I came here to do a job. Now, I'm not interested in taking your money. If you sign up, I'll donate my winnings to get the association treasury off to a good start. You will, Paladin? That's right, Jim. Well, but I still get my fee, right? Oh, sure, sure. Anything you ask. Well, gentlemen, it's, uh, it's after four. Hmm. What do you think, Jack? Well, uh, what about the president? I... I might take the job. What do you mean, you? Then you'll both sign? Well, I'll sign. All right, all right. I'll I'll go along. Good. You won't regret it. Jim, can you call a meeting? Can I call a meeting? Oh, Paladin is mayor of this fair city of Preston. I'll call as many meetings as you want whenever you want them. And may I say now... No, no, you may not. You call off your men, Marsh. Yours, Jack. The association will call off theirs. All right. Yeah, um... Well, what about the job of president? Yeah, what about that job? Well, gentlemen, that's something you'll have to settle with ballots. 
not bullets. Yes, uh, what? It's a oh, oh Mr. Paladin, look what just came for you. Well, look out. Be careful that you, you'll break your backs. Put it down. Oh. Easy now. Oh, yeah. This also heavy box just arrived from a freight office. Yes, I uh, wonder yes. what it could be in it, Mr. Paladin. Well, I'd say there's only one way to find out. Open it. Open it. Oh, I'll need a hammer. I bring you one. Oh, thank you, hey boy. Now, let's... Must be most important to be in such strong box. <laughs> it's from Jim Ellis, Preston, Arizona. There. Hey, much paper, yeah, no? Much paper, yes. Uh, what in the world? Oh, Mr. Polly, oh. look at fancy saddle. Oh, my, oh, my. Such oh, my. fine leather. So much silver. Oh, Ooh, I'll, yeah. I'll be. Wait a minute, there's an inscription. In appreciation to Paladin from the Preston Valley Stockmen's Association, Marsh Jordan and Jack Sanders, co-presidents. Huh. I wondered how they'd settle that. Will Travel. Created by Herb Meadow and Sam Rolfe, is produced and directed in Hollywood by Frank Paris and stars John Daner as Paladin with Ben Wright as Hayboy and Virginia Gregg as Miss Wong. Tonight's story was specially written for Have Gun, Will Travel by Rod Peterson. Featured in the cast were Joseph Kearns, Lawrence Dobkin, and William Redfield. This is Hugh Douglas inviting you to join us again next week when CBS Radio presents Have Gun, Will Travel. CBS on July the 17th, 1960. That was Have Gun, Will Travel with John Daner as Paladin. And the name of that episode was Little Gun. My goodness, it is a glorious day here on the beach. Just looking out over the, uh, the Caribbean, the beautiful white sand, and just, it is the seagulls, it is just lovely. I wish you could be. Belize is truly a, a beautiful, beautiful nation.
Next up is one of everybody's favorite police dramas, Dragnet. This one features, of course, Jack Webb and also Ben Alexander. This one was originally broadcast on NBC back on April the 26th in 1958, and it's entitled The Big Scrapbook. Here it comes. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you're about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned a robbery detail. You get a call from the San Diego Police Department that three hold-up men are thought to be heading for your city. You know they're armed. You know they're dangerous. Your job? Get them. the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Monday, October 5th. It was warm in Los Angeles. We were working the night watch out of robbery detail. My partner's Frank Smith. The boss is Captain Didion. My name's Friday. I was on my way into the office, and it was 4.58 p.m. when I got to room 27A. Robbery. Hi, Murph. Seen Frank? Yeah, he was here a couple of minutes ago. I think he went down the hall. Said he'd be right back. Thanks. How are the kids? Yeah, we're in the cycle again. What do you mean? Yeah, the cold cycle. Oh, yeah. Oldest boy brings one home with him, gives it to his sister. Then it goes to the baby, then to the wife, and then to me. By the time I got it, the oldest boy's ready to catch it again from me. Doesn't seem to be any end to it. Yeah, I see what you mean. Reading the other day where if you take care of a cold, you know, take a lot of pills, stay in bed, you can shake it in a week. All right. Don't do anything special for it, and it'll take seven days to get rid of it. Joe? Huh? Got an APB here from San Diego. Boys down there really drew themselves a gem. Yeah, can I take a look? Yeah, here it is. Well, I can hear him moan all the way from here. What is it? Well, I had a jewel robbery at a hotel on the coast. Three men took 135,000 in jewels and at least 15,000 in cash. 150,000, huh? Any leads on them? No, APB gives a description, list of the stolen jewelry. That's about all. When did it happen? It says 1.30 this morning. Yeah, it's going to keep him busy for a while. That Mort's screaming like an eagle, Joe. Why? Well, I talked to him last week, said he was going down to Mexico to do some fishing. Been saving days off for the last three months. Won't get to go now. Yeah, I get it. Robbery, Friday. Yeah, go ahead. San Diego. Huh? Yeah, hi, Mort. Yeah, we got the APB. How's it going? Yeah. Uh-huh. When do you figure they left? Yeah. Okay, Mort, yeah. All right, we'll keep an eye open. Right, bye. What's he got? Well, Davis, Walk, and Hewen are coming up. They're driving? Yeah, they figure the hold-up men are heading this way. The early editions of the afternoon papers came out and they carried the complete story. Three men had entered the Carlton Surf Hotel at 1.30 a.m. All three were armed and they forced the manager to open the safe. Inside the vault were the jewels and the other valuables that had been deposited with the management for safekeeping by the guests. After looting the safe, the three men had robbed five of the guests who had entered the lobby during the time that they'd been going through the safe. 
After taking all the money and valuables they could find, the three men forced the manager and the guests into a back storeroom of the hotel and they locked them in. None of the victims could tell the San Diego officers what kind of a car had been used, but all of them were able to give good descriptions of the three men. The San Diego Police Department had been called and the men from the Detective Bureau had begun an immediate investigation. From the phone conversation I'd had with Lieutenant Mort Gear, they had evidence to believe that the three men were heading up for Los Angeles. While the three detectives from the San Diego Department came to L.A., Lieutenant Gear, Sergeant Tony McGuire would continue the investigation down in their city. 11.12 p.m. Sergeants Carl Davis, Jerry Walk, and Pappy Hewen arrived at the city hall. They filled us in on what had happened. The way the thing looked, it figured that someone who had either worked for the hotel or was working for it had engineered it. How'd that check out? The identification we got? Yeah. Virgil Russell worked for the hotel a year ago as a busboy in a dining room. All the victims gave a positive identification on him. How about the other two, Carl? Nothing on him, yeah. What made you figure they might be coming up here? Well, Russell's got a record, checked his package, and found that he has a sister in San Diego. Checked her, and she gave us a lead. Yeah. Said her brother and two men came by the house early this morning. Her brother's been staying with her the past few weeks. Anyway, he came by this morning, packed his clothes, said he had to come up to L.A. on business. Was she having an address up here for him, Carl? Not good. Said he told her he'd get in touch with her. He was staying with a friend in place out on Olympic Boulevard. Anything on that address? Yeah, a package gave an address out there. Russell had listed a friend of his when he was arrested. We figured he might be out there. Got a good description of the car. One thing is going to help. Yeah. Sister told us that she asked her brother about the other two men. Wanted to know if they didn't want to come to the house. Mm-hmm. Russell said no. They were waiting for him. But the three of them were in a hurry. She couldn't give us a description of the other two. Well, what time did this happen? About 5.30 this morning. Right. Well, they came right up here. They'd get in about 8 then, wouldn't they? Yeah. You're pretty sure that these are the right ones now? Looks like that. Identification of the mugs. Russell's sister told us when he was packing, a brooch fell out of his grip. She picked it up for him. You have a description of it? Yeah, matches one that was taken from the hotel in the theft. Large diamond with four rubies in the setting. Looked real good for the job. Did you get a broadcast out on the car? Yeah, Russell's sister told us it's a 53 Nash red and black continental hookup. She said Russell just got back from a trip through Arizona, Nevada, New Mexico. Said that he had the rear window covered with those stickers. You know, the ones they get from gas stations. Yeah, I know what you mean. Window's supposed to be covered with them. Shouldn't be hard to spot. Well, maybe he figures that too. Might have them taken off, huh? Possible. It's a lead, though. Something else to look out for. Any chance he might have gotten across the border into Mexico? Yeah, it's possible, but it isn't likely. As soon as we got word on the car, we got out a supplemental APB on it and got in touch with the authorities down the border. They said they hadn't seen a car that matched the description across the border. Well, if they'd gotten to the border, the officers down there would know about it anyway. Yeah, I talked to Al Gaten from our office. He said they'd be on the lookout for him. Our pawn shop detail got right on it, Carl. They got the description of the jewelry out all over town. We haven't had any reports on it yet, though. They aren't going to try to sell it piece by piece. There's too many of those pieces are easy to recognize. Yeah. They'll probably try to pedal through a fence and have it broken up. Well, we'll get the word out to our informants. Ask them to watch out for it. Yeah. Ice that big can't be kept quiet for long. Bound to be rumbles on it someplace. I'd like to check out the place on Olympic. It looks like it's the best lead we got. Okay. Where are Walking Hewen, you know? Went down the hall with Murphy. Wanted to check some things at R&I. Well, might as well get on out to Olympic, huh? You got the address? Yeah, you better check the place first. Could be rough. What do you mean? Well, all three of them are armed. Russell served time twice before at the joint. Yeah. I don't think he's going to want to go back. We checked the name of Russell's friend through our files. We found that he had no record. We drove out to the address on Olympic and we talked with the neighbors. From them, we found out that it was not a private residence. We talked to the woman who lived next door. We asked her about the man listed in the San Diego package as a friend of the suspects. She told us she hadn't seen him. Directly in front of the rooming house, we found a car answering the description given us by the sister. There were no lights on in the rooming house. Walk and Hewen covered the rear of the place. Frank, Carl Davis, and I went up to the front door. 
pretty dark. I can't see anybody in there, can you? No, I can't. Check the window, see if I can spot anything. Right, Carl. Well, let's try the door. Yeah. Come on, open up. Beat it. Nobody gets in here. All right, Frank, let's hit it. All right, stand right where you are. Hold well, on. I'm not doing anything. What are you doing? Breaking in Get here? Get your hands like out in front of you. Sure. I'll shake him, Joe. He's clean. Everything okay? Yeah, Carl. I'll get walking you and who else is in the house? Nobody but the landlady. She's upstairs. Her and her daughter. Nobody else here. What's your name? Pete Ellis. Where's Russell? I don't know any Russell. All right, we'll look around. Come on. What's in there? Dining room? There ain't nothing in Open there. Open it up. See? Nobody here. No. All right, we'll check the other room. Where's this door go? Bedroom. Ain't nobody in there. Open it up. Joe, nobody in the kitchen. Check the back porch. Walking Davis are upstairs. All right, we'll try this one here. Come on, you open it up. It's locked. It can't get in. There's a key in the door over here. Let's see if it fits. Virgil! Virgil! Get out! Virgil, it's a cop! Get out! All right, get out of the way, you. Come on, let's hit it. Get out! On the bed, Joe. I see. All right, come on, you out of that bed. Hey, Joe? Yeah? There's a bottle of sleeping pills on the table here. Yeah, there's an empty bottle of whiskey. I guess he's dead drunk. Upstairs is clean, Joe. Russell, huh? Yeah, he's drunk. I guess we're pretty lucky. Under his pillow there? Yeah. Three guns. <laughs> With the suspects in custody, we searched the house. In the back bedroom where we'd found Virgil Russell, we found a folder with all of the newspaper stories of the hotel robbery. In each instance, that portion of the story which referred to the thieves themselves was outlined in pencil, and there were small notations along the margins of the newspaper. A complete search of the house netted us nothing. There was no sign of the loot from the robbery, although each of the suspects had a large amount of money in their possession. We talked to the landlady, but she was unable to tell us anything about the suspects. She said that she had rented a room to Peter Ellis over a year before and that the suspect had moved out after living in the house for only two months. She said that she hadn't seen them again since that night when they arrived at the house and asked for rooms. We called the office and arranged for a stakeout on the place and we took the two suspects back to the office. We ran Peter Ellis through R&I and we found that he had one previous conviction on a robbery charge. 2.15 a.m. We talked to Virgil Russell in the interrogation room. All right, all right. I ain't trying to con you into anything. I was in on the heist. I'll admit it, but I ain't going to be no fink. You ain't going to get any other names out of me. You got the money we found on you from that hotel robbery. Is that right? I don't know where else it'd come from. I got no reason to con you about the hotel job. I pulled it. I ain't afraid to admit it. I'm just not turning fink. That's all. Maybe we can get it out of Ellis. He won't tell you anything. You're pretty sure about that. He admits he was in on the robbery. Well, so what? We all had a deal. If any of us got caught, they wouldn't tell about the others. You think Ellis and that other guy'd go that route, standing the arrest alone? Sure. We had an agreement. Oh, come on now. Tell us how much you got for the jewels. You can tell us that, and not tell us who the other man is, can't you? Yeah, yeah, I suppose so. Isn't any way you could tell if I told you how much we got? How much? Seven thousand. How much? Seven thousand. Who set up the deal to sell the stuff? Your partner? Yeah, he handled all that. He fixed it for you to get seven thousand bucks for all the jewelry? Yeah, that's right. Well, you made a good deal, all right. Seven thousand for a hundred and thirty-five thousand dollars worth of jewelry. <laughs> Wasn't worth a hundred and thirty-five. That's just the papers making it sound big. No, no, Russell, you're wrong. That's what the stuff is worth. Are you kidding? You got that report, Frank. Yeah, yeah. 
Now, wait a minute. That's, that's maybe what they claim the stuff is worth. But you know how people are always jacking things up on the insurance companies. The stuff was worth, well, maybe 15000 not a cent more. Yeah, Joe, here it is. This report you got from the insurance company, Carl. That's it. Do you like to read it yourself, Russell, or do you want me to read it to you? Well, let me see. All uh-huh. right. Well, lousy bum. Oh, no good. good. He's a thief, that's what he is. A, a thieving thief. That's the kind of a guy you say you had to deal with, huh? Let you think he was doing you a big favor. Some deal, $7,000. If we'd picked him up, he'd have screamed like an eagle. He's your pal, all right. Well, no good thief. I can't believe it. Who'd he sell his stuff to, do you know? No, no, I don't, and that's the truth. I, I saw the guy, but I don't know who it was. How'd the deal work? Well, earlier tonight, we got together out in Westwood. He called the fellow who was going to handle the deal, told him to meet us here. Who's he? A fink, a lousy fink. What's his name? Payne, Al Payne. I spell it. Last name. Um, P-A-Y-N-E. You got a record? No, I don't think so. I never heard him talk about it. You give us a description? Yeah. That stuff was really worth 135 grand. He said it was a lot of talk, newspaper talk, he said. Oh, brother, what a laugh. What's his pain look like? Oh, he's about 37, maybe 150, 60 pounds. Both. A little bit of hair on the edge of his head. I'll check the name through R&I, Joe. Right. You want to bring the mugs back here? Yeah. Russell? Yeah? That first name, is it Alfred or Albert? I think it's Albert. He's some kind of a promoter. I don't know what he promotes. I think it's just a dodge, kind of a front. I'll be right back, Joe. All right. Let's go ahead with the story about the buy, huh? All right. Where was I? You said you went out to Westwood. Oh, yeah. Well, we were supposed to meet out in the parking lot by the ice rink. Big place out there. Well, we met this guy, the fellow Payne called it. He looked at the stuff, said it was worth maybe 15000 the way it was. But he said it had to be broken down before it could be sold. That it wouldn't bring that much when it was all broken down. What would Al say to that? Well, he agreed to it, said it was true. He went right along with it. Lousy deal. He was probably in on the whole thing. Wouldn't be surprised. I just can't get over it. We had all that stuff and didn't know what it was worth. You got any idea who this guy is? No, I, I told you, I didn't know. You said this Payne had an office here in town. You know where it is? Yeah, I can show you. We were up there this afternoon while I was setting up the deal. It's in a building over on uh, on 6th. You'd be willing to go over there with us? So you can nail him? That's right. We want to get the jewels back. Sure, I'll go. So what that bum did to me, nothing too bad for him. How are you going to work it, Joe? Well, Russell here will have to introduce me as somebody who wants to buy this stuff. He'll have to tell Payne that I'm willing to pay, say, 50000 for the jewelry. That way, Payne will have to get in touch with the other man. I don't think he'll pass up a deal like that. Maybe he figures to make more than that this way. Yeah, but suppose he thinks that Russell here wants to do business with me. He'll get the stuff back. I don't think he'll want to cross Russell. Might work. Well, we haven't got much choice. We've got to get the stuff back before it's broken up. Hey, Joe, i got some pictures here. I'm going to match the description. What was that? I'm going to match the description. Oh. You want to look at these? Yeah. Joe's going to go see this Payne with Russell and Ellis, try to get a lead on where the stuff is. How are you going to work it? Well, I'll tell Payne I'm interested in buying the jewels, offer him maybe 50000 Picture's not here. None of these is Payne. You go along with this plan, Russell? Sure. I'd like to see you get him and get him good. It's pretty risky. It doesn't look like there's any other way. Suppose not. Russell? Yeah? We know Payne carries a gun. I'm going to tell you something. I want you to remember it. All right. You get any bright ideas about tipping Payne off about Joe? Remember, we'll have men all through the building. All right. We're not going to start any shooting. Yeah. But we'll finish it. (laughs) 
The two suspects, Peter Ellis and Virgil Russell, were taken to the main jail and booked in for violation of Section 211 of the California Penal Code. After that, the officers from San Diego, Frank and I, discussed the plan for finding the stolen jewels. It was agreed that I would go into the office building with the suspect, Virgil Russell. To lessen the chances of discovery, I would carry no gun or any police identification. We were unable to make contact that night, so the following morning, we checked over the physical layout of the building. It was six stories high and had one elevator. There were two entrances to the building, one in the front and one that opened off an alley in the rear. Officers were planted at both entrances. Additional men were stationed on each floor. Two men were on the roof to cut off any possible escape to one of the adjoining buildings. 11.30 a.m. Tuesday, October 6th. Russell called Payne and said that he wanted to see him. Payne told him to come right over to the office. Russell and I got into a car and we drove over. It had been arranged that from the time we entered the building, no one would be permitted to leave until we returned to the main entrance. 11.58 a.m. We got to the office building. We went up to the fourth floor. The sign on Payne's door read, Albert Payne, Investments. Russell opened the door and we walked in. Hi, Verge. What's the bit? Oh, lucky to meet Joe Ferguson. Joe, glad to meet you. Yeah, same here, Al. Well, sit down, boys. Now, what's this all about? It's about the stuff, Al. We gotta get it back. Now, what's the pitch? I don't even know what you're talking about. Oh, come off it, Payne. Joe here's willing to up the ante for the jewels. How much? I'll go as high as 50,000. I gotta see it first. For 15,000 worth of jewels? Papers say it's worth 135. I explained that to you. They upped the value. It's all insured. People up the price of the insurance companies. Papers up the price. They sell more papers. I told you. Yeah, and I ain't buying it. I want the stuff back. I never even got my cut of the 7,000. Ellis feels the same way. I told you the money'd be coming. Oh, it ain't coming anymore. I want the stuff back. I don't think we can do that. Most of it's already broken up. No, not much of it could be broken up in the time that he's had it. Guy that bought it isn't going to like it. Well, that's tough. You just tell him to stop breaking it up. Tell him we want it back. Uh, where do you figure to sell the jewels? I don't see where that concerns you. I'm offering you 50000 for them. That's all you need to know. Come on, Al. Come on. Quit playing games. Let's get on it. You get in touch with the guy you gave them to and get the jewels back. Wait a minute. I got something to say about this. I was in on the job with you. Don't you forget it. I'm only going to say this once more, Payne. You get on that phone and get in touch with your contact. Tell him to stop breaking them up. You set up a meet to get the stuff back. Well, I'll call him. I don't think it's going to do any good. He's probably got all the mountings melted down by this time. Got it all broken up. You call him. Let's see what happens. All right. Now, let me talk to Fred. Fred, this Al. Yeah. Uh, listen, something's come up. We can't go through with the deal. What? Yeah, I know. I told him. Doesn't make any difference. They want it all back. Yeah, I told him that, too. Doesn't make any difference. Uh, you want the jewels back that have been broken down, too? I told you, Al. I want all of it back. Yeah. Yeah, Freddy says all of it. Okay. And when can you make it? Yeah. All right. Yeah, we'll see you then. Right. Okay, bye. They'll have the stuff for you tomorrow night. Why does he have to wait that long? How do I know? He just said he couldn't get it to you any sooner. Well, you should have let me talk to him. I'd have told him. Yeah, sure. How much of it's been broken up? Well, hardly any. Just got started. Fred says it's almost all whole. Who is this Fred? That's well, none of your business. I asked you a question, Al. You got your answer. Doesn't make any difference who he is. You and your friends lost up the deal. Be happy. You fixed it fine. Well, I'll come out better. Yeah, you better be right. Now, remember, I got a piece of this. I won't forget what time tomorrow we're going to meet Fred? 
Well, he said he'd call. Let me know where and when. Well, it can't be any later than tomorrow. I gotta be leaving then. You're gonna have the money with you when you pick up the stuff, aren't I'll you? have it. All of it. I don't want any of this down payment. I told you I'd have. All right, you call me tomorrow about 10, Verge. I'll let you know the details then. Okay. I hope you're right about this, Verge. What do you mean? Well, this deal, I don't like it. I hope nothing happens to louse it up. Yeah, so do I. Virgil Russell and I left the office and went downstairs. We checked with Frank, Carl Davis, and the other officers from San Diego. Al Payne was taken into custody and booked in at the main jail on suspicion of violation of Section 211 PC. Then we returned to the office. You find out who has the stuff? Yeah, a fellow named Fred. You know who he is? No, not yet, but we will. How'd you figure that? Payne didn't tell you. Well, I saw the number he dialed when he called Fred. It was a Hollywood prefix. That narrows down the area. I can try the number and see who answers. Oh, I'm sorry. I got the wrong number. Excuse me. Did you get it? Yeah. It's the Kingery Trophy Company. You want to check the book? Right. Okay. K-K-I. King and Cade. Here it is, Joe. Kingery Trophy Company. It's on Las Palmas. Trophy Company. That'd give them a chance to melt the mountings down to metal, wouldn't it? Be easier to get rid of it that way. Makes sense. What do you figure to move in on? Right now. We can drive out and check the place now. Look it over, then we'll go ahead and get them. Uh, what happens with me? We've got to take you back to main jail. After the help I gave That's you? That's the way it's got to be. You knew that going in. Yeah, I suppose so. Well, you tell the DA I helped, though, huh? Yeah, we'll see he knows about it. Sure, a bad deal all the way around. Real bad deal. I should have known I couldn't win. Right from the start, I should have known. Nobody can win. Well, still a lot of people trying. We returned Virgil Russell to his cell, and then we drove out to the Kingery Trophy Company. It was a two-story building on Las Palmas Avenue in Hollywood. They made trophies and fraternity pins. A large sign on the front of the building advertised that they could duplicate anything in metal. We checked with the neighborhood merchants and found that there was a permanent staff of four employees. The company was owned by a Roger Kingery, and none of the neighborhood people could tell us anything about an employee by the name of Fred. 5 p.m., the employees of the plant left the building. One man remained. From the description we'd gotten from Russell, we figured that he was the person Payne had called Fred. 6.03 p.m., the lights in the rear of the factory went on, and through the windows we could see the suspect working over a small furnace. On a table off to one side, we could see a quantity of jewelry. Frank, Carl, and I went to the side door of the plant while the other officers covered the remaining doors. All right, you ready? Yeah, let's go. Carl? Yeah. I'll hit the door and grab him before he's got the chance to throw the jewelry into the furnace. Right. Mm. Carl, he's making a break for it. I got it. Hey, what are you guys doing breaking in here like this? Look at that, Joe. Jewelry matches the description of the stolen stuff. Yeah, it looks like it. All right, mister, stand still. I'll shake him. He's clean. I don't know what you guys are doing. I don't know what this is all about. All right, save it. What's this jewelry doing here? That isn't mine. I didn't ask you whose it was. I asked you what it was doing here. Fellas say give me $2,500 if I break it down for him. What's the fellow's name? guy named Payne said he'd pay me to melt it down for him. You know the stuff was stolen? No, no, I didn't. He just made the deal to melt it down. Didn't he call you this afternoon and tell you to stop breaking it up? Yeah, and then he called back and told me not to pay attention to what he said. Go ahead with the job. I did like he said. Who else is in this with you? What do you mean? Who else here at the factory? Nobody. I'm the only one. I only did it because I needed the money. I don't know where the jewels came from. I didn't care. It didn't make no difference to me. As long as I got mine, I was happy. I didn't know what it was all about. Looks like most of it's here, Joe. How many pieces did you break down? Took a couple of the pins apart. Didn't have the time to melt any of the mounting down. It's all there. All the pain gave me. What's your name? Fred Michelson. All right. Let's go. 
I didn't know they were stolen. I didn't know anything about it. I just did a job. That's all. Just a job. Yeah. I didn't even get paid for it. Don't worry about it. You will. The story you have just heard is true. The names were changed to protect the innocent. On February 18th, trial was held in Department 89, Superior Court of the State of California, in and for the County of San Diego. Virgil Nathan Russell, Peter Howard Ellis, and Albert Franklin Payne were tried and convicted of robbery in the first degree. They received sentence as prescribed by law. Fred George Michelson was tried and found guilty of receiving stolen property. He received sentence as prescribed by law. Receiving stolen property is punishable by imprisonment in the state penitentiary for a period of not more than 10 years. Ladies and gentlemen, Lieutenant Jack Allen, Los Angeles Police Department. Thank you. On behalf of the Detroit Police Officers Association, I'd like to present this award to Dragnet. I wonder if you'd read it, Mr. Fenneman. Yes, sir. Whereas the radio and television show Dragnet and its writers, producers, and actors most accurately portray the American police officers and their work, and whereas the result of this portrayal has been to give the people of this country a new insight into their police departments, bringing with it understanding, sympathy, and an aroused public opinion, and whereas Dragnet brings credit to the men and women of the police forces throughout America, therefore we, the Detroit Police Officers Association, representing the patrolmen, detectives, and policewomen of Detroit, hereby cite and commend the show Dragnet and its star Jack Webb, who plays the part of Detective Sergeant Friday, as the finest and most accurate police program, both on television and radio. Signed this date, March 31st, 1953, in behalf of the association by Thomas Duffy, President, Bruce Finney, Vice President, Francis Klein, Secretary-Treasurer. All of us on Dragnet want to thank the Detroit Police Officers Association and our thanks to you, Lieutenant Allen. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Technical advisors, Captain Jack Donahoe, Sergeant Marty Wynn, Sergeant Vance Brasher. Heard tonight were Ben Alexander, Eddie Firestone, Art Gilmore. Script by John Robinson. Music by Walter Schumann. Hal Gibney speaking. For a million laughs, tune in Chesterfield's Martin and Lewis show Tuesday on this same NBC station. And sound off for Chesterfield's. Either regular or king size, you'll find premium quality Chesterfield's much milder. Chesterfield is best for you. Chesterfield has brought you Dragnet transcribed from Los Angeles. It's originally heard on April the 26th, that back in 1953, that was Dragnet, and the name of that episode was The Big Scrapbook. We'll have more Dragnet in the weeks ahead. But now, on the beach, it's time for a little comedy. Something familiar. Something peculiar. Something Something appealing, something appalling, something for everyone, a comedy tonight. Nothing with kings, nothing with crowns. Bring on the lovers, liars, and clowns. Ah! Object 
Education. No complications. Nothing portentous or polite. Ready tomorrow, comedy tonight. Well, this week on the Comedy Corner, once again, we're going to visit Jack Benny and his long-suffering neighbors, Ronald Coleman and Benita Hume. This episode was originally broadcast back on January the 14th, 1946, and it is very funny. Like all the Benny shows, it's two parts. Coleman and Benita Hume show up in the second part, and it's hilarious. But the first part stands on its own as Jack gets violin lessons. This episode is commonly referred to as Jack's Violin Practice Interrupts Ronald Coleman's Rehearsal. Enjoy. The Jack Benny Program. Starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Phil Harris, Rochester, and yours truly, Don Wilson. Ladies and gentlemen, to those of you who haven't been warned, at the close of his radio season, Jack Benny is contemplating a concert tour. So let's go out to Jack's house where we find him taking his violin lesson. No, 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 Monsieur Benny. You better try the exercises once more. All right, Professor LeBlanc. Hello, commence. One and two and three and four and... Do not make it too legato. Grip your bow and play staccato. Softly like a birdie chirping. You sound like a horse that's burping. (laughs) That's enough, Monsieur Benny. Now, try intermezzo again. Yes, sir. No, 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 Monsieur Benny. Please, a violin is a delicate instrument. It has a heart. It has a soul. You have already broken its heart. Have pity on its soul. I see. You see, you see, you see. Please, Professor, control yourself. Would you like a glass of water? Yes. Put a little cyanide in it. Not till we finish the lesson. All right, all right. Take the exercises once more. Yes, sir. Play it softly, play it tender. Where can I go to surrender? (laughs) Make the notes a smoother mixture. This is worse than your last picture. (laughs) My poor head is getting woozy. Onesy, twosy, I hate (laughs) you. All all right, Mr. Benny, all right. Now try intermezzo once more. Yes, sir. I'm sorry, Professor. Mr. Benny, the violin has only four strings. Your left hand has only five fingers. How can just the nine of you make so many mistakes? I'll try it again. Please, and this time, just follow these simple instructions. Relax, be calm, and slide the bow delicately over the strings. Is that all? That's all. Now, commence. One, two, 
You see, it sounds better already. They're fixing the street. Try it again. No, no, no. Let's call it a day. The lesson she has done. Tut, tut, Professor. Look at the clock. The lesson still has 14 seconds to go. 14 seconds. That's right. And then you will give me back my pants. <laughs> yes, sir. Very well. Commence. <laughs> the bell. The alarm clock. The hour. She is up. The lesson she has finished. I am liberated, free, free. <laughs> Professor, control yourself. Control yourself. <laughs> Stop kissing me. My goodness, these Frenchmen are so emotional. Oh, forgive me, Monsieur Benet. I forgot myself. Well, Professor, the lesson is over. You may go now. But, monsieur, you have forgotten something. You, you haven't paid me. Oh, yes, yes. Oh, by the way, professor, would you like some lunch? No, I want the money this time. <laughs> well, I'll have to get it for you. Excuse me a minute, will you, please? Come in! Oh, hello, Don. Hello, Jack. <laughs> Come on in. Well, thanks. Don, what are you giggling about? Oh, nothing, nothing. <laughs> nothing? You didn't come over here. Don, what have you got behind your back? Mary Phil and Dennis. Hello, Jack. Hiya, Jackson. Hello, Mr. Benny. Oh, for heaven's sake. I know Don is big, but how the three of you can hide behind him is beyond me. I, I... beg your pardon, but would you mind waiting on me first? What? <laughs> I saw this line, so I got in it. Look, miss... I'll have size nine, one pound, or where it won't show. Size nine, one pound, or where it won't show? Yeah. Nowadays, when you see a line, it's either for nylons, butter, or a vaccination. Oh, yes, yeah, but this happens to be a private residence. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Goodbye. Goodbye. Oh, by the way, as long as you're here, would you like some lunch? No, thank you. Hmm. Didn't even give me a chance to show her the menu. Jack Benny, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Mary, what's wrong with serving lunch? Imagine putting stools around your swimming pool and calling it the Seaside Cafe. So what? I serve good sandwiches and draft beer. That's right, Libby. Pickle in the middle and the beer on tap. Ha, ha, ha! Oh, Harris, that gag alone ought to get you a summer show. <laughs> Well, that kind of stuff won't keep in the summer. <laughs> you kids can laugh if you want to, but I have the best beer in town. Oh, Mr. Benny. Yes, Dennis? I'm going to deliver your keg of beer tomorrow. You are? Why? My mother sprained her back. <laughs> oh, that's a shame. How did it happen? Well, yesterday, when my mother was at work, my father waxed the floor in the kitchen. It was sure slick. Oh, you mean when your mother stepped in, her feet went out from under? I think so. We got our footprints on the ceiling. <laughs> Well, that's too bad. Did your father tape up her back? No, her mouth. You should have heard what she was calling him. <laughs> I don't 
don't blame her. Anyway, kids, what's going on? How come you all dropped in together? Well, we're going to the beach, Jack, and we thought you'd like to go with us. The beach? No, no, I don't think so. Oh, Jack, stop being afraid. What happened to you last year won't happen again. What happened, Livy? <laughs> well, Jack was lying on the sand, and two men came over and tried to bury him. Yeah. <laughs> tried to bury him? So what? They were only kidding. Not when they were playing organ music at the same time. <laughs> Yeah, imagine those two undertakers coming down there looking for business. Well, it was your own fault for lying on the beach in a tuxedo. All right, that wasn't a tuxedo. That was my old bathing suit, and the lapels were a little shiny. Anyway, kid, you run out to the beach. I got to stay home and practice my violin. Hey, Jackson, you're not serious about that concert tour next summer, are you? I certainly am, and no swing stuff for me. I'm going to play the classics. You know, that long-haired stuff. Long-haired stuff? Yeah. Wait a minute. You ain't got the talent or the toupee for it. I'll get along. Don't worry. Now, look, kids, I'm kind of busy today, so if you're going to the beach, go ahead. Okay, Jackson. Come on, kids. Let's go. Say, Jack, is our program all set for Sunday? All except Dennis' song. Just run over it once, will you, kid? Yes, sir. Michel Benny. Michel Benny. I am waiting. Oh, Professor LeBlanc, I forgot all about you. You want your money. I owe you for six lessons, don't I? No, five lessons. I thought it was six. No, no, five. I am not charging you for the time I hit you on the head with the violin. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, that's right. Well, I'll get you the money as soon as I hear this song. Go ahead, Dennis. Let's have it. Professor, put your pants on. Please. <laughs> That'll be swell on the show. Can we go to the beach now, Mr. Benny? Yes, yes, go ahead, all of you. So long, kids, so long. Bye, so long, Jackson. See you. Say, Don, why don't you and Phil go in your car and Dennis and I will follow you? Okay. Oh, Mr. Wilson. Mr. Wilson. Huh? 
Oh, Professor LeBlanc. Uh, you're not going to the beach with us, are you? No, no, no. But before you leave, will you please go back in the house and remind Monsieur Benit to pay me for his violin lessons? Five lessons at a dollar and a half. <laughs> and I'm not even charging him for the concerts I gave at his seaside cafe. Come on, Don. We're waiting. Okay, right with you. Oh, uh, Professor, you better go in the house and speak to Mr. Benny yourself. I have to leave now. Goodbye. Goodbye. All I can do is try again. <laughs> Well, Professor LeBlanc, come on in. Gosh, how time flies. Seems only yesterday that I took my lesson. It was today, and I want my money. Oh, yes, yes, your money. I forgot all about it. How much was it again? For five lessons, seven fifty. But if you give it to me now, I'll take six dollars. No, 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 no. I'm going to settle it for the full amount. You are very kind. Now, let's see. I owe you seven fifty. Is that right? Oui, monsieur. Now... France owes us four billion six hundred and six million dollars. But I did not borrow that personally. This is not an international affair. Did I charge you for the Louisiana purchase? <laughs> what? All I want is to be paid for the violin lessons. You know, da 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 I know, I know, I know. Uh, just, uh, uh, just sit here, Professor. I'll, I'll go get the money. Good. I'll, uh, I'll be back in a minute. Uh, put your pants on. <laughs> yeah, Professor's a nice fellow. A little excitable, but he's more... Say, boss! Oh, what is it, Rochester? Are you staying in for dinner? Yes, yes, I think I'll eat uh, by the pool. You can't do that, boss. Why not? The elks are having a party out there tonight. <laughs> oh, then I'd better have a bite now. What have we got in the icebox? Well, we got some cold borscht, cheese blintzes, sour cream, bagels, and matzo balls. <laughs> borscht, bagels, and matzo balls? Yeah, we had them left over from St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> Good, good. Make up a big batch of hot biscuits with lots of butter. Well, we're all out of butter, boss. We are. We'll go over next door to the Ronald Coleman's and borrow some. But, boss, every time we're short of something, you send me to the Coleman's. Oh, we haven't borrowed so many things from the Coleman's. We haven't. When the time comes to return them, it'll be easier to switch houses. <laughs> Rochester, stop wasting time. Now run next door and get some butter. Uh, I'll be in my room practicing my violin. I have to practice all afternoon for my concert. So call me when lunch is ready. Yes, sir. Excuse me. Excuse me, Mr. Rochester. Well, Professor LeBlanc. Yes, Rochester. Will you please do me a favor? Sure, sure. What is it? Will you please tell Monsieur Benny I am waiting for my money? Uh, how long have you been waiting? Since 12 o'clock. You're a beginner. I've been waiting since 1937. <laughs> anyway, you better speak to him yourself. I gotta go next door and borrow a pound of butter. And, Professor... Yes? The lesson's over. Why don't you put your pants on? <laughs> oh, Benita, Benita. Yes, Ronnie. Who 
was that you were talking to at the back door? It was Mr. Benny's butler, Manchester. Oh. <laughs> oh, well, what did Benny want this time? No, no, don't tell me. Let me guess. Was it the garden hose, a cup of sugar, or my tuxedo? <laughs> it wasn't your tuxedo. Good. The last time he brought it back, the pockets were full of sand. <laughs> wanted to borrow a pound of butter. Butter? Butter? Well, what does he think this is? Shangri-La? <laughs> all the man ever does. Borrow, borrow, borrow. Oh, darling, don't be unfair. Once in a while he's loaned us things. Remember last week he let you have his lawnmower? Yes, but it wasn't much use to me. I could only mow half of our lawn. Only half? Yes, that's as far as the chain would reach. <laughs> Darling, <laughs> he means well. Oh, I know. And I really don't mind Benny too much. But sometimes he wants to borrow the oddest things. Last week he asked for some sympathy soothing. Sympathy soothing, sir? You you know, Benita, the sympathy spelled backwards is yatapamis. Oh, yes. You did your tapamis, you did your tapamis. You did your tapamis, drive your blues away. Oh, Mr. Benny's a pleasant enough chap. With all his borrowing, I sometimes wish we weren't next-door neighbors. Yes, it is annoying, but living next door to him has its compensations. Compensations? What do you mean? Well, he does serve the biggest glass of beer in town for a nickel. <laughs> I know, but that big electric sign flickering on and off, it keeps me awake at night. Yes, yes, and what a corny sign. Benny's Seaside Cafe, come in and drool by the pool. <laughs> Right under it, it says, put your stomach in our hands. Oh, my, my goodness, look what time it is. And I haven't started to work on that scene from If I Were King. You know, I'm doing it next week for that benefit performance. Well, I won't disturb you, darling. You stay here in the library and rehearse, and I'll go into the other room. All right. Now, let's see. Yes, I'd better start with this introductory poem. <clears throat> if I were king, ah, love, if I were king. What tributary nations would I bring to stoop before your scepter and to swear allegiance to your lips and eyes and hair? Beneath your feet, what treasures I would fling. The stars should be your pearls upon a string, the world a ruby for your finger ring. And you should have the sun and moon to wear if I were king. Ah, let these wild dreams and wilder words take wing. Deep in the... Deep in the... Deep it. Oh, Benita! Benita! Yes, Ronnie! Would you please put the cat out? <laughs> Ronnie, I let her out about an hour ago. Well, then, for heaven's sake, let her in! <laughs> She's in some kind of trouble. <laughs> now, let's see. Oh, yes, yes. Ah, let these wild dreams and wilder words take wing. Deep in the woods, I hear a shepherd sing. Oh, Ronnie, uh, I looked out the front door and the back, and 
I couldn't hear the cat anywhere. Well, come in here and you will. <laughs> now, did you hear that? Oh, Ronnie, that was Mr. Benny playing his violin next door. Oh. Well, I should have known. <laughs> Our cat hasn't sounded like that since she had a strep throat. <laughs> Awful, Benita. You know, I must rehearse. Well, darling, just go ahead. And if he starts again, don't pay any attention to him. Well, I'll try. I'll try. Yes, I'd better look over the love scene. Let's see. Here it is. Catherine is seated in the royal drawing room. I enter left, walk up stage, take her hand and speak. Darling, I love you. Love you because you are the loveliest woman alive. All my life I have read tales of love and tried to find their secret in the bright eyes about me, tried and failed. But when I saw you, the old heaven and the old earth seemed to shrivel away, and I knew what love might mean. For your love, I would face torture. For your love, I would defy death. For your love, I'd greet the gallows. doing, Benita? I've got to have this stopped. Call the police. Call the fire department. Call Petrillo! <laughs> I know, I know, but he'll start again. And with that same old da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-
quiet for five minutes now. I'm sure Mr. Benny's finished practicing. So go on, rehearsing. Yeah, all right, darling. Uh, let me see. Where was I? Uh, well, there's the door. I'll get it. Yes? Excuse me, Mr. Coleman. But you're a good friend of Mr. Benny, are you not? Well... Would you please do me a favor? A favor? Yes. Mr. Benny owes me $7.50. Would you mind speaking to him about it? You mean to say that Mr. Benny owes you $7.50 and won't pay you? That's right. Well, I'll take care of it right away. Goodbye. Well, how do you like that, Benita? Benny owes him seven fifty and won't pay it. Hey, give me that phone. Hello, Luella? <laughs> Have I got something for you? all the way back to January 1946 for that episode of the Jack Benny Show. And I really do love those episodes with Ronald Coleman and Benita Human. We'll have another one next time. Just a couple really quick notes on this one. Of course, Luella Parsons was the famous columnist who wrote for the Hearst newspapers. She saw herself as the social and moral arbiter of Hollywood. And you got her disfavor. Ooh, you could really be hurt in the industry. Her column eventually appeared in 400 newspapers and was read by 20 million people around the world. She earned, therefore, the unofficial title Queen of Hollywood, and that remained unchallenged until Hedda Hopper came on the scene and they became fierce rivals. Actually, Hopper was usually considered the more vicious and the more unforgiving of the two, but Luella Parsons still had some teeth and she was much feared. The other thing you might have noticed is when Ronald Coleman got real exasperated and he said, do something, do, and then he said, call Petrillo. Now you might wonder what in the world was he talking about? Well, it ends up that Petrillo was the head of the musicians union and a very powerful individual, much like Jimmy Hoffa was with the Teamsters Union and he was in the news a lot. He had actually had the musicians in the United States go on strike for two years because he wanted to try to get better record deals, better uh, royalties for uh, the records that they produced. So he was very powerful, and as a result in pop culture, you, you heard his name used a lot, like Ronald Coleman did tonight. In fact, last week we had uh, an instance where I, I hadn't mentioned it at the time, but Jack said the same thing. He said something about uh, check with Petrillo. Uh, in fact. One time on one of the shows, Phil Harris told Jack that Trillo had married he and Alice Bay. And Jack said, how could that happen? He says, why not? He says, my dues are paid up. Another time, Rochester was using a horn because the car horn wasn't working. I think that was the setup. Anyway, he was supposed to blow this horn while he was in the car. And he says, I can't, boss. Trillo won't let me. These just happened all the time. There was a Bugs Bunny cartoon. I think it was called Hurdy Gurdy Hair. And Bugs was playing an organ grinder, and this monkey was collecting money. And Bugs looked at the audience and said, I hope Petrillo doesn't find out about this. There was a road movie, you know, with uh, Bob Hope and, uh, and Bing Crosby. Road to Bali, I think it was. And, and Hope was, uh, you know, they're playing one of their cons, and he was pretending to be a snake charmer, and he was blowing this flute. 
And he looked at Crosby and he says, I'm telling you, we should have cleared this with Petrillo. So this just happened all the time. So it's easy to understand why Ronald Coleman, so exasperated at listening to Jack uh, practice his violin, would have told uh, his long-suffering wife, Benita, do something, if nothing else, call Petrillo. More Jack Benny Show with Ronald Coleman and Benita Hume will be coming up next time on the show. music just take you right back to 1874. We are in Dodge City, Kansas, out there on the western frontier. It's a wide open town, and Matt Dillon has been given the task of United States Marshal, and he's the one that's to bring law and order to this western frontier. Tonight we're going to go back to one of the early episodes of Gunsmoke, one of the earliest ones. 1953, the year that the show debuted. Um, shortly after the show, January 1953, shortly after the show debuted. And this one is entitled Paid Killer. And it's a good one. Here it comes. Dodge City and in the territory on west, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gun smoke. Starring William Conrad. The story of the violence that moved west with young America. The story of a man who moved with it. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal.
Hey. Over here. One of the boys said you wanted to see me. Yeah. It better be important, mister. I don't make a habit of coming running with some saddle punk whistles. Maybe you hadn't ought to make a habit of calling people saddle punks. <laughs> no offense, just an expression. Sure. I came up from the Pecos country. Been here in Dodge about a week. Maybe you've seen me around. I've seen you. I've been talking to people. Oh? Everybody tells me you were a big shot back in Abilene. Had all the games sold up, three or four saloons paying off, a couple of hotels and so on. Then the boom busted and you come here, and you got nowhere. Know why? You're talking, you tell me why. Dillon. Fellow named Matt Dillon, the U.S. Marshal. You tried to scare him and he wouldn't scare. Tried to buy him and wouldn't buy Tried breaking it. Wouldn't break. So? Be worth $5,000 to you if I kill him? Might. All right, get it in gold. Keep it handy. My heart? Yeah, you're hired. Chester, I know you've been sick and you still got a cold, but is there anything else wrong? What do you mean, Mr. Dillon? Well, you haven't said three words in the last 20 minutes. That's not like you. Well, Mr. Dillon, did you ever get a funny feeling somebody was keeping an eye on you? Well, yeah, but... Uh... Well, I got one right now. <laughs> Chester, I think you got a touch of the heebie-jeebies. Maybe... But I tell you, I know there's Well, as somebody... far as I can see, there's nobody in the whole place even paying any attention to us. Somebody is. I had the same feeling the day the Butler brothers come back from Santa Fe. Yeah? I didn't even know they was in town, but I knew somebody was getting ready to call us. And about six that evening, they made their play, remember? Yeah, I remember. I was one of the pallbearers the next day. Well, it's the same thing now. There's going to be trouble, Mr. Dillon. You can bet on it. <laughs> I think you got the wind up over nothing, Chester. Why, the town's never been quieter. Jail's been empty for two weeks. Only new faces around is that bunch of trail drivers that came up from the Pecos. They're all strangers. None of them got any reason to hold a grudge. Oh, against... uh, there you be. What? I've been looking all over for you, Marshal. Oh, hiya, Billy. Waited over to the jail for nigh on to an hour. I got to talk to you, Mr. Dillon. Uh, I I'm sorry, Billy, but... Every time I give you money, you, you buy yourself a bottle and then oh, stay blind drunk it, for two it, days. It, it ain't money this time, Mr. Dillon. I got something to tell you. Oh? What? Something I heard. These couple fellers talking over to the livery stable. They didn't see me. I was back at the water trough. <clears throat> sort of, well, resting, you might say. Yeah, I know. Well, you know how it is, Mr. Dillon. A man gets dry in this prairie country, and he just... What right were they came. talking about, Billy? <laughs> about you. One of them offered to kill you for $5,000 in gold, and t'other and took him up on it. Uh, there 
there? What did they tell you? Who were they, Billy? Janon? No, sir. It was dark, and I didn't recognize their voices. They was already there when I woke up, and they left right after that. Well, maybe they... Maybe it was just some kind of a joke. Oh, it didn't sound that way to me. No, sir, it's no joke, Mr. Dillon. I told you I felt it. There's somebody in this room right now, somebody who's been hired to kill you. Yeah, but who? I don't know. figure who'd want to do such a thing, Mr. Dillon? Yeah, I can figure a dozen or two, Chester. Well, if... Chester, if was... look, as far as Dodge City is concerned, I'm the law. And there are plenty of men here who'd think they'd do better without any law. I guess it's nothing personal. Well, personal or not, it's got me jumping sideways at my own shadow. Ah, here we are. Come on. Well, good morning, Marshal. Haven't seen you since the robbery last month. Attempted robbery, Mr. Greeley. Yeah, so it was, thanks to you. Well, Mr. Dillon, the bank's at your service. What can I do for you? Give me some information, if you will. Well, if it isn't confidential... It is, but I want it anyway. Well, I hardly know what to say. Perhaps you'd better step into my office. This way, gentlemen. Thank you. Yeah, after you, Mr. Greeley. Now... Just what was it you wanted to know? I want to know whether one of your customers has drawn $5,000 in gold from the bank in the last few days. Any particular person in mind? No, that's what I want to find out. Well, I hope this won't go any farther, Marshal. So somebody did, huh? Who was it, Mr. Greeley? I certainly wish to make it clear that I don't approve of this man, but after all, he is a good customer. and It's not my place Yeah, yeah, to... I know. Who was it? Lawson Hale. Lawson Hale? Yeah, he took the gold out just this morning, as a matter of fact. Said he was working on a cattle deal of some sort. Yeah, figures all right. Hale's tried to move in on this town ever since he came here. Every time he's tried, I've stopped him. I do hope you'll regard this as confidential. Yeah, sure, sure. Well, Chester, we know who one of them is now. Yeah, but who's other than Mr. Dillon? The one who's actually going to do it. Some punk who wants $5,000 real bad and doesn't care how much he has to do to get it? That sure doesn't narrow that down any. Yeah, I know. Sure quiet tonight, Mr. Dillon. Yeah. Not many people out. No, not many. The moon is throwing quite a bit of light. Yeah, I guess it is. Kindly makes a target out of a man. Yeah, kind of. If somebody was out to shoot somebody, this would sure be a good night for somebody to do it. I suppose so. Mr. Dillon. Hmm? Do you mind if I make a comment? <laughs> well, I thought that's what you were doing, Chester. Let, let's go on back to the jail and stay off the streets. This way you're just asking for it. Chester, if it's going to come, it's going to come. 
I'd rather meet it halfway than to sit and wait for it. Asking for it? Asking for it? That's what you're doing. It's been two days now. It gets on your nerves. When you go out to bring a man in, you know you may have trouble and you're ready for it. But, but this way, and not knowing who or when or where or... Yes, sir, well, I understand, I... Mr. Dillon. It, it, it kindly bothers a man. Yeah. Let's walk down to the Texas Trail. Good to see you, Matt. You've been avoiding us the last couple of days. <laughs> Busy, Kitty. Something bothering you, Matt? Bothering me? Yeah. <laughs> Whatever gave you an idea like that? Mr. Dillon. What is it, Chester? Lawson Hale just come in. He's down the bar there. Oh, yeah. Maybe you ought to have a talk with him. Well, that's one way. That's the one I haven't tried yet. Excuse us, will you please, Kitty? Well, sure, Matt. Whatever it is, be careful. Huh? Yeah. That link was wide open. Yeah. I had it right in the palm of my hand. Is that so? The minute the trail driver hit town, the boys would grab their pay and they'd head yeah, straight. Yeah, well, like... Something I can do for you? Yeah, I want to talk to you, Mr. Hale. Well, I don't see anything stopping you. But we'll move down the bar ways, if you don't mind. It's kind of private. Sorry, Marshal. I'm fine right here. I said we'll move down the bar. <laughs> if it's that important. Pardon me, boys. The Marshal's all head up about this. Oh, sure. <laughs> far enough? Yeah, this is far enough. Lawson, I understand you've hired yourself a gunman. Sent him out to get me. Offered him $5,000 in gold. I don't know what you're talking about, Dylan. Wouldn't care to tell me his name. No, I don't think so. You see, I don't know anything about it. What's he waiting for? He's had two days now, and he hasn't made a move. Like I said, Dylan... Why don't you I... do the job, Hale? You're wearing a gun. Maybe save yourself some money. I've got no quarrel with you. You mean you're yellow? Scared to call your own play. I said I've You're got You're a no... weaseling, no-good coward, Hale. I let it ride for the time being. Yeah, I thought you would. Come on, Chester. Yes, sir. Let's go get some fresh air. guess he's just not the kind to take chances, Mr. Dillon. And not when he's got a hired killer out prowling somewhere. Chester, I'm going to run him out of Dodge if it's the last thing I ever do. Dodge can stand it. If I only knew who he'd hired, then I could force the play myself. This blasted business of having to leave it up to the other man. Waiting, waiting in the... <laughs> Over there by the stable. Yeah, I saw the flash. Maybe you got him, Mr. Dunn. I don't know. Let's move in and find out. Yes, sir. Watch yourself, Chester. You may be playing possum. Yes, sir. 
Flash was right here by the corner. Yeah. Well, that's that. Looks like he got away, Mr. Dillon. Yeah, he's gone. Took one shot and then ran for cover. He'll be back. My cold sure no better tonight, Mr. Dillon. My, that fire sure feels good. Yeah. Yes, sir, the old jail seems kind of cozy when a man's ailing like I am. Anyway, it's sure a lot better than prowling those streets waiting for somebody to put a bullet in the back of the neck. Chester. Will you stop squeaking the chair? Well, sorry, Mr. Dillon. Yell at me like that, puny as I'm feeling. Two more days gone by and he hasn't made another move. Yes, sir. That cottonwood sure burns up fast. I guess I better shake down the stove, throw another chunk of wood. Wait a minute. Huh? Wait a minute. There might be a way at that, Chester. Loss in the hail. That's the only fact we're sure of. Loss in the hail. It'd be kind of hard to... Prove anything, Mr. Dillon. Who said anything about proving it? I got an idea. Come on. Which one will we try first, Mr. Dillon? Uh, The Texas Trail, I guess. He'll either be there or at the Longhorn. All right, Mr. Dillon. What you gonna do? Gonna arrest him, since he won't fight. You saw him back down the other night. Yes, but you got no evidence. Mr. Dillon, you can't make it stick. I don't intend to, Chester. Well, then I don't see what... What I can do is scare him. And if I figure him right, I think he's gonna scare easy. Hmm. Maybe so, but all the Ah, same... Ah, look. Look, there he is, Chester. Just came out of the Longhorn. A couple of fellas with him, Mr. Dillon, you don't suppose one of them could be... No, there? no, they're hanging around for the free drinks. There's not an ounce of nerve in the three dozen of them. Come on, let's take him. Yes. Hale? Hold it just right where you are. <laughs> what seems to be the trouble now, Marshal? No trouble, unless you want to make some. You're under arrest. What for? I'll think of something later. Stick out your hands. Whoa. You're taking me in without even making a charge? I'll remind you there's witnesses here. Yeah, so I notice. When they're not hanging around you, they're around somebody else. What have you done, Hale? Hired them, too? I asked you what the charge was, Marshal. Vagrancy. Vagrancy? As far as I know, you've never had any visible means of support as long as you've been a Dodge I'll match any dollar of yours with a hundred better ones. Well, that's fine. That'll help pass the time. Now, stick out your hands. Oh, look here, Marshal. Shut up. All right, Chester, put the cuffs on him. Yes, sir. All right, hold still now. Dylan, I'll... I'll break you for this. It's been tried before. 
All right, boys, break it up. The party's over. You've had your last free drink out of this pump. All right, you, let's go to jail. Keep walking, Hale. It's the last cell on the left. I'll break you, Dylan. So help me. Well, you've been trying it for a year. I'm still around. But you won't be after this. I'll take this up. With Hold up. Wait till Chester gets the door unlocked. Haven't used this cell for so long. I've almost forgot which keys are. There we are. Vacancy. I'm living in the best room in the commercial house. Inside, Hale. Now go on, move. Now stick your hands up. You won't need those cuffs in here. All right. Make yourself at home. Shut the door, Chester. Yes, sir. Dylan, you've got nothing to hold me on. I'll be out of here by tomorrow noon. Oh, I doubt that. In fact, there's a pretty good chance you'll never get out of that cell. Not alive, at least. What are you talking about? According to the law, I've got a right. The law, huh? You've broken it every chance you've got. Tried to break the men who serve it, like you've tried to do with me, for instance. But when your own neck gets caught, you start hiding behind the law. Well, nevertheless, the law... All right, law. fine. Right now, the law out here is kind of sketchy. Some things it covers, some things it doesn't. Well, that's where I come in. Now, this little affair between you and me is one of the things the law doesn't quite cover. So I'm going to run it my way. That kind of talk won't help you any, Dylan. You hired a man to kill me, offered him $5,000 to get me out of the way. You can't prove that. He's made one try and he's missed. He's still around, Dodge. Somewhere waiting and he's going to try again. But I don't know who he is. So all the odds are with him. That is your problem, Dylan, not mine. I don't know anything about that. You know what'll happen, though, if he does get me. The first thing Chester's going to do is come straight back here to the jail and pump a couple of bullets through these bars here. Huh? Your boy may kill me, Hale, but you're not going to live to profit by it. Oh, he wouldn't do it. Shoot down a helpless... Pr- oh, neither one of you would do it. Chester and I have been friends for a long time. Don't you ask him whether he'd do it or not. No question about it, Mr. Dillon. Of course I'd do it. Oh, no, you wouldn't. Well, you hired somebody to shoot Mr. Dillon in the back. I don't see where you got any kick coming. Well, there's your answer, Mr. Hale. That's why I arrested you. Come on, Chester. Let's go look the town over. No, no, it's it's tonight that he's going... Who's going to do what? I don't know, Marshal. I don't know anything about it. No, that's too bad. If I knew his name, I'd have a lot better chance, you know. So would you. Well, we'll see you later, Hale. Or anyway, Chester will. No, Dylan, you can't do it. No, don't go out. He'll get you short. Dylan, no, wait. I'll tell you his name. All right. He's uh, a trail driver. Came up from the Pecos last week. I doubt if you know him. His name is Ed Granger. Ed Granger? Yeah, I've seen him around the bars. Dark-haired, surly-looking, 
Scar across his cheek. That's him. Of course, I'll deny all of this in court, you understand? Yeah, sure, I understand. Come on, Chester, let's go get him. Look, he's here all right, Mr. Dillon. Over there by the pine. Yeah, looks like he's by himself. What you gonna do? Rest him? Well, there's no evidence, Chester. The only way I see is to make it personal. Let's go. Yes, sir. Now, I want you to stay out of it, Chester. Just cover me, that's all. Whatever you say, Mr. Dillon. Your name, Ed Granger? Might be. What about it? You know who I am, don't you? Judging by the star, I reckon you're a U.S. Marshal. You ought to do better than that. After all, I'm worth $5,000 to you. Yes, you. Who says so? Lawson Hale. What? Your memory's getting better, huh? I don't know what you're talking about, Marshal. Sure you do. That deal you made with Hale. He told me all about it after I threw him in jail and persuaded him a little bit. I told you, I don't know anything... You're about... wearing a gun there, Granger. Why don't you draw it and go for $5,000? Take a chance. This fellow you're talking about's in jail. I reckon he wouldn't have anybody working for him now, would he? You tell me. I got no reason to draw on you, Marsh. Not unless my back's turned, huh? I think you're as yellow as Hale is. This won't do you any good. I ain't drawing. You tried to kill me night before last, Granger. Can you prove that? If I could, you'd either be in jail or you'd be dead. Well, since you can't prove it, what's the argument? Just that I don't like the idea of somebody trying to shoot me in the back. If you're any man at all, we'll settle this here and now. now leave me alone, Marshal. I haven't done anything. <laughs> now, you still figure you got no reason to draw on me? No reason. I ain't drawing. You got ten minutes to get out of town. And when you're out, stay out. Don't come back now or ever. You understand? Yes, sir. You can start right now. Must be nearly midnight, Mr. Dillon. Yeah, about that, I guess, Chester. My... This is sure one day I'm glad is over. <laughs> yeah, so am I. At least I can breathe a little easier now. Mm -hmm. I think I'll get this fire built up a little bit, Mr. Dillon. No, le leave it, Chester. Let's go take care of our prisoner first, huh? Hey, we still haven't got any evidence. What are we going to do about him? Same as with Granger. Turn him loose and run him out of town. I should have done it months ago. You got the keys? Yes, sir. 
Right here, Mom. Mr. Dillon? Huh? What are you looking at? Granger must have stopped by here on his way out of town. He he must have got Hale over to the window for a talk and then grabbed him and cut his throat right there. Yeah. Figured Hale had sold him out, I guess. Got a bulletin on the wire, Chester. Wanted for murder, Ed Granger. All right, sir, Mr. Dillon. I guess Hale got pretty much what he bargained for. He hired himself a killer... In order to kill him. He got it. Gunsmoke, under the direction of Norman MacDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Tonight's story was specially written for Gunsmoke by Les Crutchfield, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Featured in the cast were Harry Bartell, Lawrence Dobkin, Jack Crucian, and Ralph Moody. Parley Bear is Chester, and Georgia Ellis is Kitty. Gunsmoke is heard by our troops overseas through the facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. Join us again next week as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal, Fights to bring law and order out of the wild violence of the West in Gunsmoke. Like Old Man River, the comedy just keeps rolling along every Sunday night when CBS Radio presents Amos and Andy. Tomorrow night, over most of these same CBS radio stations, the kingfish is sure to be up to his usual monkey business. And it's sure to make a monkey out of gullible Andy Brown. Listen for yourself. Don't let one single minute of the fun get away. Tomorrow and every Sunday night, it's Amos and Andy on CBS radio. This is Roy Rowan speaking. And remember, Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy open fire on your funny bone every Sunday night on the CBS Radio Network. January 17, 1953. The name of that Gunsmoke episode was Paid Killer. And it was heard on CBS. And of course, as always, we'll have another episode of Gunsmoke coming up next time. Well, okay, everybody. I hope you've enjoyed our selection for this week, which came to us from, uh, oh, way back in 2017. And uh, we will be back next week with another archive show. And in the meantime, we hope that you have a great week. This is Bob Bro. I'm so glad you stopped by. And I'm so glad you met me.
This is my island in the sun Where my people have toiled since time begun I may sail on many a sea Her shores will always be home to me Oh, island in the sun Built to me by my father's hand All my days I will sing in praise Of your forest waters, your shining sand As morning breaks the heaven on high I lift my heavy load to the sky Sun comes down with a burning glow Mingles my sweat with the earth below Oh, island in the sun Built to me by my father's hand All my days I will sing in praise of your forest What is your shining sun? I see woman on bended knee Cutting cane for her family I see man at the water's side Casting nets at the surging tide Oh, island in the sun Built to me by my father's hand All my days I will sing in praise of your forest Waters your shining sun So songs philosophical Oh, island in the sun Built to me by my father's hand All my days I will sing in praise Of your forest waters, your shining sun